Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We got a terrific Wednesday morning show for you today. And we start with the leader of the opposition in the BC legislature, Kevin Falcon, leader of BC United. And I'm very pleased you could join me in the studio this morning. Kevin, thank you very much for coming in today. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, I appreciate it a lot. So a lot of ground to cover here. Let's start with this clean clean BC that you're raising a lot of concerns about here. This is the government's climate change program here to drastically drive down carbon emissions in, in British Columbia. I was checking out their website this morning. So it includes things like rebates to get an electric vehicle. Of course, the carbon tax is in there. But now there are some new numbers out on how this is going to impact the economy. Tell me your concerns here now. Well, there sure is. There's been a couple of reports that have come out, one from the chief economist at uh, the BC Business Council and another from BMO that has pointed out that their own numbers, their own modeling. So this is where the government says, we have this plan. We want to reduce emissions by 40% in the next seven years in British Columbia, uh, model that out and tell us what that will mean for the economy. And what the modeling shows is that it would reduce economic growth to 0.4% by 2030. Just to give you some context, that would mean the lowest level of economic growth ever in British Columbia. Not in the last 10 or 20 years or 30 years, but ever. The second thing it says is it will result in an $11,000 annual reduction in family income for a typical family in British Columbia and potentially $200,000 job loss. Now, you might say, Kevin, that seems outrageous. How could you say that? First of all, I'm not saying that. That's what their own this numbers This is the government's numbers. This is the government's yeah. numbers. And, yeah. and it makes sense when you think about it because what they're calling on is shrinking the economy by 10%. So if you shrink the economy by 10%, there's going to be massive impacts. Okay, let's have a listen to the environment minister here. So this is BC's uh, George Heyman, the environment minister, talking about this clean BC program. Let's have a listen. We have comprehensive uh, programs and pathways with a range of options, uh, initiatives across all sectors of the economy and community, uh, ways to help average people do what they want to do, which is lower their carbon footprint. Okay, so he says people want to lower their carbon footprint here. We're in a climate change crisis. We've gone through catastrophic wildfires and flooding. Well, you're not on board with this now? No, very on board, but it's how they're trying to get there. Look, let's put this in context. British Columbia emissions represent 0.17% of global emissions, okay? So it, even under their plan, what they're planning, we're still not seeing emission reductions. And what we have said is if we actually want to make a contribution to global emission reductions, the best thing we can do is do what we started under a BC Liberal government, and that's exporting our LNG to countries like China, India, Japan, Korea, and now more recently Europe, 
countries that have decided that they want to get off coal-fired power and that our green, clean technology and power is the way to actually help. Are we doing that? that? I mean, we've got the we LNG are. Canada mega project here. It's the biggest project in the country's history here. Absolutely. And I was up there in uh, Kitimat just a couple of weeks ago, and it is awesome. 7,500 okay. people working there. So what's the problem? They start exporting next year. Well, that's that's my point is that's where we can get real reductions in emissions, like yeah. significant enough reductions to put it in perspective that it would be the equivalent of eliminating 35% of the emissions out of BC. So it is significant, and that's where we can make our contribution as part of a global you know, global citizenry. But to think that the result is going to be let's hammer our own economy, shrink it by, by uh, what they're talking about is a dramatic shrink in the economy of 10%, yeah. hammer jobs and incomes and all the rest of it, for what benefit? It would have a negligible, not even a blip in global emission reduction. Okay, we've, we've already heard from you recently about getting rid of the carbon tax on home heating fuel, Mm -hmm. right? You've talked about cutting the fuel tax on gasoline in British Columbia. Yes. You know what your opponents are saying about this now, that you are now turning your back on the climate change crisis. And well, let's listen to David Eby on it here. So here's, here's Eby, the premier here, going after you specifically on the carbon tax. But I think it's relevant to this conversation. Let's listen, then I'll get your thoughts. The other side of the house is desperate to justify their about face on climate action. It's embarrassing. They will say anything to get elected. Okay, it says you'll say anything to get elected. This is why you're turning your back on climate change. Well, what do the, you say to him? The revenue neutral carbon tax that I was proudly uh, a part of in 2008, along with John Rostad and others in our caucus, was a revenue neutral carbon tax. That means that every penny by law had to be returned to the public in the form of lower income taxes and lower small business taxes. That made sense. It was a tax shift. Uh, I was also the finance minister in 2012 that froze it at its current level, or not the current level today, but at the current level then of six cents a liter. Now, when yeah. the NDP got elected in 2017, they did two things. One, they said, we're not making it revenue neutral anymore. We're taking all the money into government. Then they more than doubled it. Now they want to more than triple it over the next seven years. And I have no hesitation in saying that is not the carbon tax that we brought in. It's frankly a, a, a just a disaster uh, in the direction they're going because at a time of living in a province that's the most unaffordable province in the country, we cannot afford to have people paying those kind of taxes to not see okay. emission reductions. Okay, well, let's talk about what you would do, how you would approach this climate change crisis that we're in, right? Sure. So you're not a climate change denier. Not at all. You say, not at all. We're facing a crisis here. We have to do something about it, right? Absolutely. So you're saying, though, that if, if we take a look at the emission reduction that this government has scheduled over in a very short time frame, as you just mentioned, by 2030 is the deadline now? 2030, yes. 2030. So you're saying that, what, you would scrap this deadline and allow emissions to come down more slowly? Like, how would you do this? No, look, I'm a business person, so I'm just practical. I'm saying, okay, what are we trying to achieve here? We all want a, a cleaner, greener world where we see emission reductions globally. So uh, what, what can we do in BC? Well, very little when we represent such a tiny just a fraction of global emissions. Well, does that does so, that no, remove no, our no, responsibility no, to do something about it? No? no, it doesn't. And that's why I said where we would invest is in things like the export of LNG, because that yeah. helps reduce emissions dramatically globally. But secondly, the electrification of LNG, because as you go through that process of taking the, the natural gas and, and freezing it to minus 160, it uses a lot of power. So electrifying that is a way of dramatically reducing emissions. And we would also invest in what I call um, infrastructure resiliency. So that means uh, investing in transportation infrastructure, dikes, 
to plan for the floods and the forest fires. It, a, adaptation. Coming. This has been called yes, adaptation, adaptation as well. Okay. And that's really critical. Now, the NDP will say, well, of course, we will do adaptation in our plan. Well, the problem is, if they follow their plan, we won't have the dollars available if you take $28 billion out of our economy. That's the entire mm. healthcare budget, for God's sakes, in seven mm. years. So mm. I'm just saying, let's be practical about this. Do our bit, because British Columbians love the environment. They care about the environment. I do, too. Yeah. I just want to make sure that we focus on the things that we can achieve. Well, well, let me ask you, let me get you specifically, though, on the emission reduction targets that the government has set in here. So you're saying that you'd scrap those, you'd uh, remove those? Absolutely not. By 2030, can we achieve 40% reduction without ruining the economy? No question. We have to. We can't do that. I, I, I refuse to punish and destroy our economic foundation in British Columbia and hammer families uh, for the basis of maybe, maybe some infinitesimal reduction uh, in, mm. in emissions. They haven't hit their targets yet. Yeah. Keep in mind, even with all these carbon tax increases they've been putting through. Okay, you've also raised this Clean BC program that you're talking about. Uh, this is a huge program, and the government spends a lot of money promoting it. Tell me about the, what, what's going on with these Vancouver Canucks ads. They, are, they run ads during the Canucks games? During the Canucks games, they yeah. are hugely expensive. They're running TV ads, talking about clean BC, isn't this great? And that's fine. They're, you know, they want to spend millions of taxpayer dollars saying what a great plan it is. Then at least be honest about what the plan is saying. That's all, that's all I'm saying. That, that if you look at this plan and you look at their own modeling that they've called for, that they actually commissioned, their modeling is telling them, if you go ahead with this plan, Here's what's going to, the impact in the economy is going so to be. Scrap, you, would you shut down the whole program, like this Clean BC program? No, no there's probably elements of it that we can, uh, that we can uh, work with for sure, right. like the elements that talk about uh, resiliency and investing in infrastructure and adapting to climate change. Obviously, those are things we want to do, but those are things we could get started on now. So, for example, yeah. on wildfires, you know, we put out a report that said, why are they appointing a committee to spend a year to look at, you know, what recommendations can come out of the wildfire season we just had? We know what we have to do. Let's go do it now. Okay, I was taking a look at this Clean BC website this morning, and there's a lot of stuff on there about rebates for electric vehicles, for example. What what do you think of that? Because now we have this this extremely, this is another target that seems fantasy land to me, though, but 2035 to go 100% electric vehicle sales in BC, and they want to do it largely by incentivizing people with rebates. What do you think of that? Because an average price of an EV right now is like 70000 bucks. Well, Should I, we be subsidizing and that? I, and I was just talking to a single mom in Surrey yesterday that asked that same question. How on earth am I ever going to afford a $70,000 electric vehicle when I'm trying to raise three kids? It's really, really tough. And, and the truth is, it is. So why would we do that? What we've said, let's do some common sense policies. Uh, first of all, I don't think it's right that that single mom should be subsidizing uh, wealthier upper income folks to be able to buy electric vehicles, quite frankly. We brought So you in, would scrap the, reba the uh, rebates? I would redo it so that we okay. focus it on the people that need the help. That's the lower income mm. folks. If we're going to force them into getting electric vehicles, we better bloody well make sure that they actually have a pathway to do it without bankrupting them. So I think it's got to be much more common sense. But look, the, the bottom line is this. We can also, for example, eliminate the 12% tax on used vehicle sales, which would allow poor people, frankly, yeah. that might spend three or four or five or $8,000 on a car to be able to get into a vehicle that can at least help get them and their family around.
My guest is Kevin Falcon, leader of BC United. He's the leader of the opposition at the legislature, promising to delay the implementation now of these uh, emission targets. That's what you do, right? You, we'd still have emission targets, but you'd have like oh, a longer sure. time frame for yeah. them. Well, we've always had uh, you're getting to net zero by 2050. That's a reasonable target. It allows uh, industry time to adapt and, and to get there. And by the way, Industry and business want to get there. They're, I can yeah. tell you in British Columbia especially, they're willing participants to say, let's get this done. Yeah. Let's go to your phone calls. Ryan on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Ryan. Go ahead. Hi, uh, Mr. Falcon. I'm a 44-year-old uh, Canadian. I watched for 16 years as the B.C. Liberals made it basically impossible for someone like me to own a house in the place that I grew up and live in in Vancouver. I make a six-figure income. Uh, it's never going to happen. I'm leaving to go to the U.S., why should I believe that you've changed your branding? All of a sudden you care about the working class. After you guys lied about the causes of the housing crisis when you were in power, you, uh, Madam Clark took a bribe from developers that she had to return, and you pushed for status quo politics okay. the whole time. Okay, let's let him respond. Well, yeah. I think I know where his political persuasion comes from, but I will give him some facts that are going to be uncomfortable for Ryan. Uh, when I left politics in 2012, when I retired, you could buy a townhome in Surrey for 375000 uh, in fact, in, in 2017, when the NDP got elected, uh, two-bedroom, two-bathroom, double-garage townhomes were selling in Surrey, in Fleetwood, for $450,000. Today, they're over a million dollars after seven years of this government. So I think, look, the reality is uh, we have to look at the facts. The facts are that over the last seven years, we've become the most unaffordable real estate market in North America. We have the highest average rents in Canada. Now, Ryan, I it's not all the NDP's fault, but a good portion of it is because they've been, you know, driving this car for the last seven years, and they have to take responsibility for the results we get. The bottom line is that to get results, you've got to understand how the market works. They don't. They bring in a whole bunch of legislation that's poorly thought through. They haven't thought about what the implications are. Uh, they don't understand. None of them come from any kind of a, a background that uh, understands how the, uh, the the marketplace works. And I think that that. But really you do right. Like you were like a, a property developer in the private sector before you got back into politics. And this is something that David Eby is going to remind people every day as yeah. we get closer to an election oh, sure. here. Yeah. Imagine the horror of having somebody as premier that actually knows a thing or two about the housing sector. I mean, come on. Like this is. They have never. They haven't spent. David Eby has not spent five minutes working in the private sector to understand how it works. And I actually think some experience in the private sector, uh, I wasn't in the development side, I was on the capital side of the business, but nevertheless, I think some experience actually would be a good thing right now unless people like the results that they're seeing. Okay, Luke on the line calling from Kamloops. Hi, Luke, go ahead. Hello, I'd like to give you a perspective from a Better Homes BC heat pump contractor. Um, a lot of the homeowners have an idea that they're going to save money with heat pumps um, going away from their uh, um, natural gas, fossil fuel, which usually isn't the case. Uh, electrical actually costs them more in the end. And then going back to the, the save uh, the environment carbon emissions, where do you think the heat pumps are getting built? They're getting built in China while they're building six coal plants a day and pumping heat pumps on diesel-fueled uh, boats delivered back okay. to this country. It's virtue Thank signaling at its finest. Thank you, Luke, for the call. I mean, the government's offering big rebates on heat pumps. They want everyone to get into a heat pump. David Eby was wearing his I Love Heat Pumps t-shirt the other day. Where, where do you stand on that? Would you continue with the rebates on heat pumps? I don't have any particular problem with heat pumps, but it's interesting. He, I met another contractor that said the same thing. He had some real warnings about people heat pumps it's still an you know kind of an early technology and there's some questions about how well it works in really cold parts of the province 
Uh, but nevertheless, I think that that's not a bad thing. We should continue to encourage that. But I think the other point he made made is really important. You know, they are still opening up you know, six, you know, um, um, coal-fired power plants uh, a day in China. And what we want to do is help China get off of the worst dirtiest form of emissions and transition over to LNG. LNG, That that will reduce emissions by 50% out of China and Japan and Korea. And Europe even has come to us and said, please help us. We don't want to rely on Russia for our energy. We just got 30 seconds left here. Now, the government, if if EB was here right now, he would say, well, we're on board with LNG too. But you're saying that these emission reduction targets would, what, rule out any more LNG development going forward? Well, there's no question about it because what the reduction targets say is that the only way you're going to get there in this shorter period of time is you have to reduce, you have to put caps on the entire natural resource and industrial sector and, in fact, probably reduce um, uh, their ability to, to, to produce anymore. And that's going to kill the economy. All right. Here we go now with the plan to go 100% electric vehicle sales by 2035. That is the new official deadline to go 100% EVs in British Columbia. The provincial government recently moved up this deadline to 2035. Is this possible? Is it just fantasy land stuff? How much will this cost? Where will all the new electricity come from? A lot of questions about this. Got a great guest standing by to discuss, Dominic Lusick. But first, let's have a listen here to the Prime Minister. So Justin Trudeau here uh, describing the federal targets here on the same thing. Same target, 2035 100% electric vehicle sales in Canada. Listen to Trudeau here. With specific targets of 20% electric vehicles for all new sales uh, in, uh, in 2026, 60% by 2030, and 100% by 2035. And with the kind of demand and the kind of solutions being brought forward by the auto industry, uh, it would surprise. It wouldn't surprise me for us to reach some of those targets ahead of time. Ahead of time. Forget about 2035. He thinks we can hit it even earlier to go 100% EV sales. Okay, let's discuss this now with my guest, Dominic Lusick. Dominic is the Director of Communications with SecondStreet.org, which is a government policy think tank, and they have a brand new report out on this issue. Very pleased to welcome him. Dominic, thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. So let's talk about the findings here. Your report. This is really interesting. You guys did some digging here on what kind of plan, what kind of research has been done by government here on this transition. How much is it going to cost? Where is the power going to come from? Uh, can we actually do this? Dominic, what did you find out? Yeah, that's right, Mike. So we uh, we were inspired by the federal government's policy, um, as uh, you just uh, we just heard from uh, the prime minister there uh, across the country. They do want to ban the sale of new gas powered cars by 2035. Of course, uh, B.C. has that same goal as a provincial policy. And we thought to ourselves, you know, this is going to cost a lot of money. It's going to have to. I mean, the fact that uh, you have to build all sorts of new infrastructure, you have to generate more power. Um, you have to generate, uh, you have to build local distribution systems, you know, power transformers and that kind of things in uh, in neighborhoods, um, uh, upgrade 
homes to have uh, uh, to be able to handle extra electricity, to handle all these electric cars. We knew it would uh, likely cost a lot of money. So since the provinces are in charge of um, of the electric grids within their borders, we thought we would reach out and send freedom of information requests just asking, do you have any analysis on how this will affect the average person's power bill? And we didn't get anything back on um, on power bills. Nobody seems to know how much all of this together will cost the average British Columbian. <laughs> oh, okay. So not... So you didn't get anything from British Columbia. Did you get anything from any other province here? Is this supposed to be a Canada-wide target here? Did, did has any province done any research on this? Yeah, I mean we've we we did get um, we did get back uh, a fair bit of research um, okay. on a lot of different issues that could pop up with this policy, power generation, that sort of thing. But uh, from coast to coast, whether it's Saskatchewan, BC. Ontario, no one has looked into how much this will cost you and and make your power bill more expensive. Right. Okay. So no one knows how much it's going to cost. It, sort of break down some of these cost pressures again there for me, will you? So like, why would this cost? Obviously, it looks like it's going to cost a lot of money, but you'll have to generate a lot more power, first of all, wouldn't you? Yep. Yeah. Power generation is uh, is a big thing. Um, that's kind of situational, depending on the province. Um, BC yeah. is heading into it in a fairly decent spot because of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the good amount of hydro generation in BC. But um, yeah. BC Hydro told us they do plan to increase to step up their power generation in 2031, a few years before the uh, the 100 percent goal is uh, supposed to come in, um, which, uh, again, that will cost money. Um, when you build those power plants, depending on where you build them, you might have to build those big, big transmission line projects, right? So um, those can cost millions, potentially even billions of dollars uh, yeah. to transport the power from a, a plant, uh, you know, into a river that might be in northern BC down to Victoria and Vancouver, Kelowna, those kinds of areas. Um, then you also have to think about, again, the uh, the, the local distribution systems. Um, yeah. For uh, for example, uh, we we didn't hear anything about this uh, from BC, but in Saskatchewan, we were told that a uh, a twenty two house distribution system can only handle eleven electric cars right now. So if uh, if you were to plug in more than eleven electric cars in uh, in this city block in let's say Regina or Saskatoon, uh, they wouldn't be able to handle it, and there could be blackouts so oh, you'll have to man. upgrade those systems to um to to handle all this extra electricity all okay. these things are going to cost money well yeah so you'll need more uh, an enhanced distribution network i guess more transformers and, and stations and the other thing i wonder about is what if you live in an apartment building or a condo uh especially an older building and i've talked to people who've had a lot of trouble They'd like to have an EV living in their condo, but guess what? There's no place to plug the, the, the thing in. And when they go to their condo strata council and say, can I put in a, an electric charging station in my parking spot? Well, no, you're not allowed to do that, or there's no capacity to do that. I mean, wouldn't they have to retrofit all these buildings, all these high-rises here to allow for electrical plug-ins? Yeah, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, Mike, I could very well see that being an issue. I haven't, um, we didn't look at specifically um, condos. I'm sure there is material out there that uh, 
that goes into that. Um, we, yeah. we did do a little bit of looking into just the cost of installing chargers in a home. And right. it can be pretty pricey um, to uh, to upgrade your um, your electric panel. Uh, it could cost anywhere four to five thousand dollars. And then just to install the charger along with labor costs it could cost anywhere up to three thousand dollars. So, I mean, you know, depending on where you are in the country, you could be looking at, you know, upwards of eight thousand bucks just to get your charger in your home mm. set up. Speaking of Dominic Lusick, secondstreet.org, their new report on electric vehicle implementation targets in Canada and British Columbia, 2035, the new deadline here in BC to go 100% EV sales in BC. So when we break down and we dig a little deeper here on, on who's going to pay, pay for all this, I know you've done some analysis on who would get hit the hardest here with these costs because it sounds like this would be a bit of um uh, a regressive kind of cost on people like if you were a, a lower on the lower end of the income scale is this going to cost you a lot is this going to hurt more is this going to cost more i mean if you're a rich person you, you know who cares if it's going to cost eight thousand bucks to upgrade your your mansion right for an electric vehicle but what about lower income households yeah, exactly, Mike. I mean, it's 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 as simple as saying people who are already low low income, uh, a bigger percentage of their paycheck goes toward their power bill. If your power bill yeah. goes way up, it's going to hurt them a lot more. And um, and that's that's we heard that explicitly from uh, Manitoba Hydro. They explicitly told us that um, in that province, all of these um, these upgrades will likely have to uh they'll they'll be paid for by the utility so they'll come through the uh the electric bill and yeah it'll it'll hurt people who are more low income another thing to consider too is people who live in more rural areas you know um i live in regina you guys live in uh, uh vancouver and uh for for us it's you know quite a bit uh th there's a lot more access to these types of things it's uh there's there's more of an incentive and it's easier to build public charging stations out and about and there's already a lot of electricity infrastructure but if you live um way up north somewhere that's a five six hour drive from uh, a major population center it is going to be a lot more expensive to build all these charging stations and those transmission lines and distribution stations okay could it also that's a, this is a lot of money we're talking about here there's a lot of costs uh, the government's also talking about penalties on auto builders if you don't meet these targets you could have could be twenty thousand bucks a vehicle if you're if you don't go one hundred percent electric vehicle sales by twenty thirty five. I mean, someone's got to pay for that too, don't they? I mean, couldn't could this possibly drive up the the cost of the actual vehicles themselves too? Uh, you know, that's that's a good question, Mike. Um, yeah. I, I can't say that we we looked specifically into that, uh, but um, what is interesting is that uh, some parts of the country aren't confident that they'll be able to to reach that uh, 100% sales goal. Um, yeah. Newfoundland and Labrador specifically told us that they think by 2035, they'll only be able to reach 65% of, uh, of, of all new vehicle sales being uh, a zero emission or, or electric, right? So mm. um, if, uh, if the, the federal government is going to be putting penalties in place, then uh, yeah, it, it Certainly, uh, could be possible that um, that uh, parts of the, the the country will be facing penalties for that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting research. Thank you for coming on to talk about it today. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, thank you very much, Mike. It's a pleasure. Okay, this turned into a super busy news day here in British Columbia when it comes to climate change policy. I spoke earlier to Kevin Falcon, the leader of the BC United Party. Uh, let's turn now to John Rustad, leader of the Conservative Party of British Columbia, MLA for Nechako Lakes. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the studio. John, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me in. It's great to be in studio. Yeah, it's great. good to have you here. And I know you did a news conference today here on some of the climate change policies that we have here in British Columbia, things like carbon tax, rebates for electric vehicles. And I know you've talked. So you tell me what you want to change here and, and your concerns. You know, the biggest thing British Columbia needs to do is to be able to adapt to our changing climate so that we can have a prosperous future. And that's what we're really talking about. We need to actually to look at our policies from a perspective. How does that impact on the average everyday person? How is that going to help us be able to adapt to the changing climate? And how do we create uh, you know, a prosperous opportunity for both today and for our future generations? So the policies are, are all about that. Primarily things like you know, we, we need to get rid of the carbon tax and, and we need to get rid of these low carbon emission standards. We need to uh, look at all of the carbon policies that are in place in terms of the province and, and what that's doing for the cost. There's $2.8 billion that's being taken out of people's pockets on, a, on an annual basis today. That's scheduled to go up every year until 2030. An additional $0.12 cents a litre just for the low emissions uh, fuel standards. These make no sense. Half the people in the province are struggling to put food on the table. We actually need to be looking after people in this province uh, as a priority. Oh, okay. Uh, when I spoke earlier today to Kevin Falcon, the leader of BC United, you know, we talked some about these issues. It sounds like you guys are kind of duking it out here over the same turf. Now, he on the carbon tax, he has said that he would he would remove the carbon tax from home heating fuel, right? You're saying scrap it completely. That's is correct. that correct? Strap it completely. Why? Well, when you look at it, what does the carbon tax go into? The transportation of all our goods, farm production uh, in yeah. terms of that, as well as the day-to-day -day life of people getting around, people having to drive to work, people trying to take their kids to hockey practice at 5 in the morning. All of this adds up to a cost that's taking $2.8 billion out of people's pockets today. That, to me, is, is wrong. Uh, we need to be looking at what we do to improve quality of life, not, not actually taxing people into poverty. And I find it interesting that, uh, you know, the United Party has now changed their position on this. I mean, this is the whole reason they kicked me out of their caucus was to dare to even sort of question this whole thing. So uh, seeing that flip-flop falcon go on is just a hilarious to watch. Well, do you think he, yeah, so he kicked you out of the uh, BC United Party. Do you think he's trying to copy your policies now? Is that what's is. going on? Yeah. Anything that we come out with and the, and the approach we take, they seem to be following it, mimicking it, and I get it, right? I mean, we're, we're advancing in the polls. They're struggling. They're trying to figure out who they are. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I actually think that the people in British Columbia are looking for real leadership. They're looking for people who are going to stand on principles uh, and just be straight up with people, not people that are just going to waver around based on where they think they need to go to get votes. Oh, okay, well, speaking of leadership, what about leadership on the whole climate change crisis, though, now? Well, now, we've had devastating wildfires. We've had devastating floods in British Columbia, right? You're not a climate change denier, No, of course correct? not. The climate is changing. There's the, no question. The climate is changing. It's caused by human activity. Not entirely. Right. Human activity is Part one component of our changing. There are hundreds of factors that go into changing our into changing our climate. Anthropogenic, uh, um, you know, heating from CO two is real. There's no question about any of those sort of things. But the issue we have here in British Columbia is we are rounding area. We we produce 0.15 percent of world emissions, 
And what yeah. we're talking about is policies that are putting people into poverty that are going to save 0.01% or 0.02% of emissions. It makes no sense So it won't whatsoever. stop the wildfires. It won't stop the wildfires. Yeah. It's not going to change you know, whether we have dry seasons or wet seasons. What we do need to do is we need to be able to adapt to that. We need to make sure that we've got infrastructure and support in place for people so yeah. that when we do have these events, they're not as traumatic, they're not as damaging to us as, as a society. Okay, I've heard this argument many times, saying that why are we doing this to ourselves? Because we're not going to make any difference anyway. I mean, we're such a tiny emitting jurisdiction that it's it's not going to change anything. We'll still have the wildfires, we'll still have the flooding. You need China and India to change their policies if you really want to make a difference. But, you know, the answer to that that you will get from environmentalists is, well, that does not relieve us of our responsibility to do something. Because if everybody did the same thing as us and said, just threw their hands up and say, well, we're not going to try and fight climate change anymore, then nothing would get done. What do you say to that? Well, first of all, uh, you know, what we need to be thinking about is people first. We should not be putting people into poverty around this. But we also have, should believe in technology. And I'll give you an example. Sure. Um, Whales were hunted for whale for, for blubber for whale oil. Yeah. And what happened? We didn't stop the whale hunt. We didn't stop that from happening. What we did is we saw technological advancements, first with kerosene and then with electricity, that made it obsolete to do that. We need to be looking at the same sort of thing. So, for example, in British Columbia, there's a company up in Merritt called Edison Motors that's built the first um, uh, truck, in, in transport truck, in British Columbia since the 1950s, and it's an all-electric truck. But what they've done is they put a diesel generator on it so that it has an unlimited range uh, in terms of all they have to do is put additional diesel in to recharge the batteries. They claim that they could save 50% of fuel <clears throat> of the diesel fuel that they can use. Um, that, that's a dramatic increase in technology that was developed here in British Columbia. This is the types of things we should be looking at in terms of, of how, we, how we advance our climate policies. Let's talk a little bit about the... Uh the impact on the BC economy if we continue going forward with the existing policies, right? So British Columbia has this clean BC program, which which Falcon this morning said he would scrap. It includes these very aggressive emission reduction targets here looming in front of us here, so drastically reducing emissions in the, in the outlying years. If we stuck on that same path, escalating carbon taxes, reduced emissions, what kind of impact would that have on BC's economy? Well, it'd be huge. And, and this, this is the whole point. Technological advancements, adaptation is the path forward. It's where we need to be thinking about for our economy. And so, you know, we're going to be releasing a report next week on, on the carbon tax, on these policies, what the impact on both the economy and end on individuals, which will detail much of that. But, you know, a snapshot, when you look at the costs associated with forestry, we're the highest cost producers. We're looking at mining, right? We're, we're a jurisdiction that is a very high cost producer. Agriculture, very high cost producer, highest in, highest in Canada. We can't afford to be doing that. We need to be able to bring down those costs. And when you look at these policies that are driving those costs, that are creating life to be unaffordable for people in this province, that's not going to you know, be, the, be the solution. Okay, I checked out the Clean BC uh, website this morning since it's in the news today. I was looking at a lot of the programs here the province has in place. A lot of it is... A move to electrification, so electric electric vehicles, heat pumps, right? Heat your home and cool your home through electricity. This would require a whole ton of power that I haven't heard any convincing explanation of where it's supposed to come from. But they're still trying to uh, convince people to adopt this technology, right, through rebates. What are your thoughts on on the rebates right now? So there's rebates for heat pumps, electric vehicles, everything else. You get into rebate an electric scooter, should those all be scrapped? Like, what would you do on that? 
Well, certainly when I look at electric vehicles, elect- the, the, the rebate for electric vehicles needs to be scrapped, as well as the privilege of using HOV lanes. And we've talked about that in, in a previous program. Those sort of things should be scrapped. Uh, I love the idea of using more electricity. I mean, 84% of the yeah. energy we consume today in British Columbia is fossil fuels. Only 16% is electricity. So if we're wow. looking at wanting to move you know, all of our other sources away from, away from uh, fossil fuels, you're talking about having to expand the amount of electricity we generate by sixfold. That's six times the number of dams. That's six times the number of power lines. That's six times the number of infrastructure that needs to be put in place. It is unrealistic to think that's going to happen in a short time. So what we need to do is we need to have a realistic conversation with people in this province about power generation, about our electricity, about our energy mix, and where that's going to come from. You've become a real pain in the neck here for Falcon. I, I think that's clear to say. You just discussed that, how he seems to be kind of trying to copy your policies here now, ever since he kicked you out of his party. Right now, it seems to me, John, that David Eby and the NDP are just loving this. They, they love what you're doing here, reviving the B.C. Conservative Party, bringing them up in the polls, because it divides the vote. It splits the vote. It divides their opponents and actually makes it probably more likely that Eby will get reelected maybe even with a bigger majority next year, and continue with these policies. Well, is, that, is that the risk that you're running here, that what you're doing here is actually going to increase the likelihood that these policies that you're opposed are actually going to continue? Uh, well, so I, first of all, I disagree with that. And, and every generation or two, there's a shift in politics in British Columbia, and mm-hmm. we are seeing that today. And this is why the Conservative Party of British Columbia is surging up in the polls. People are looking for something that is different. They're not looking for what has been in the past for the last 20 or 30 years. They want to see a difference. And, and quite frankly, when we get that opportunity, and we will have that opportunity to highlight you know, EB and EB's approach in government, you can see what they're doing with municipalities, with private property rights. It's an authoritarian approach, and it's a bullying approach, and I don't think that's what the people in this province wants. They want to be able to have an optimistic uh, future. They want to be able to have a prosperous future. They want to have a future for their kids, and they're going to be looking for policies that do that, and that's what the Conservative Party of British Columbia is going to deliver for people. John Rustad is my guest, leader of the Conservative Party of British Columbia, MLA Nachaco Lakes. Let's go to your calls here. Rose in Surrey. Hi, Rose. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm just uh, wondering, with all the uh, emission taxes we're paying um, why is the BC government, um, when there's we have a cabin up north and forest fire called BC wildfire, they literally said BC government handles that. And uh, long story short, they said let it burn, and we sat and watched it burn for six weeks. Smoke on the lake, and why are we paying taxes for all these emissions? And yet the BC government is one of the biggest defenders, saying let it burn. Yeah. That's, Rose, that's a very interesting question, and uh, there's no, no question in my mind the approach that uh, we're taking with wildfire is, is a real challenge. And uh, up in, you know, I, I obviously represent an area up in the middle of the province, and last summer we had some fires. We had lots of crews out. We got them under control, but we didn't have them out. Then the crews were pulled off. And what ended up happening? There were still hot spots. The wind picked up, and the fires took off, jumped the guard, and actually people lost structures. Uh, with that, to me, is unacceptable. We wouldn't allow... BC government wouldn't allow the local crews to actually stay on and put out those hot spots. And quite frankly, I, that's just unacceptable, in my, in my opinion, in terms of how the, we fight fires in this province. So if the answer is adaptation, as you've described earlier, would that include expanding and enhancing firefighting capacity in, in BC? We need to be looking differently at how we fight, but we also need to look at differently how we manage on the landscape. So as yeah. we're logging, as we're, as we're disrupting, uh, how do we make sure that we have the right species mix to come back? How do we put in natural breaks? How do we bring fire back naturally on the on the landscape? 
to deal with these issues so we don't have these major fires. It's a different way of, of looking at how we manage our landscape. James in Kelowna. Hi, James. Go ahead. Yes. Hi, uh, Keith and guests there. I just, I'm obviously I'm phoning from Kelowna. And so I was here and I'm here was during the Monty Lake fire, the White Lake fire and the fires of this last summer. And I have a real issue when the causes of these or the big picture of wildfires is linked directly to climate change. And I'm not a climate change denier, but I think that this is, uh, it is dishonest to say that climate change caused these fires. Those three that I just mentioned were all human caused. That is never said through these uh, discussions, and I think it has but to be said. These like, were not okay. caused by climate change. Well, maybe the initial match that lit the fire was not was caused by a human, but the, the climate change impacts that we've seen on the ground in terms of drought and drying out the forest, doesn't that make the fire worse? And John Rustown, you go ahead. Would so you? I, I used to do a lot of work um, in the field uh, and in, in databases looking at this very issue prior to my life in politics. And what I can tell you is that we changed how the landscape actually operates back in the late 40s, early 50s. And since then, our forests have been allowed to get older. The fuel loads have been allowed to build. And so, yes, when we've had a changing climate, we've had a, a warming period of time, it makes the, the forest more susceptible to fire. Yeah. But when you look at it, it was management decisions that were made 50, 60, 70 years ago and carried forward that laid the foundation for many of the fires that we have today and the problems. Let's go to Bob in South Surrey. Hi, Bob. Go ahead. Hi there. Uh, also get rid of the carbon tax, but if you get rid of the BC one, doesn't the federal one just kick in? Because unless you get rid of the federal one, the right of ours is not getting rid of the tax. Okay, great question. So we've got a provincial carbon tax, right? And we're exempt from the federal carbon tax, Trudeau's carbon tax. But if we get rid of the provincial tax, doesn't the federal one kick in? Good question. Absolutely right. And, yeah. you know, Bob's absolutely right that as long as we have the current federal government in place, if we were to eliminate BC's tax, they would just implement a federal tax. Sure. And so I would have a plan in place, and I will be detailing a plan in place to how to make sure that there can be no further increases because we'll have offsetting, uh, um, offsetting uh, reductions. So that when, as as if the federal government doesn't change, we will not see any increases. But as soon as the federal gonna, government does change, do then we can implement it. Well, there's ways to do that in terms of looking at the uh, at the fuel tax, various other fuel taxes we have in the province to actually see a reduction. So that if we have to have carbon tax increase because we still have a federal government that wants to insist on it being there, uh, we'll make sure that there's no impact on people uh, in British Columbia until we get to that place where we got to change federally and we can eliminate the tax entirely. John, we got more calls coming in. We'll just have to have you back on. Thank you very much for coming in today. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.